Hey everyone, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on Donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much and enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. All right. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Welcome yet again. Yes. And uh, we're really excited you're here. We're going to be talking more about the book of Numbers today. And uh, we're going to finally leave Mount Sinai. It's the best. Which is it's exciting. The, it's on the way to the New Eden. Yeah, but it doesn't, oh. doesn't work out too For well. now, David, oh, we're sorry. on our way to the New Eden, <laughs> don't break the narrative hope that we have established so far. I mean... Uh, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine, guys. <laughs> There's no dark cloud hovering in the sky. There's no ominous things that's going to be coming up in this text. You don't know the rest of <laughs> Old Testament history. No. This is this the first, time, first you've time you've read, read this. this. Read the Bible. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. If it wasn't, what are you doing here? No. Um. So we ended in chapter 9 last week. And we're starting in chapter 10. And we're starting in chapter 10. How convenient for us. How convenient. <laughs> so we did a flashback. Yeah. Right. There was a flashback to Exodus times right before God's presence filled the temple. And we're wrapping up that time here with one last set of commands that awkwardly bleed over into chapter 10. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they're about trumpets. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like there's this weird interlude between here's the the song you sing as you enter into the shalom, uh, the, the ironic blessing, the mm-hmm. benediction, like the Lord bless you and keep you and let him bring shalom. And it's supposed to be what they sing as they go into the promised land, but then it's interrupted with a flashback to Passover right. and a song and some commands about trumpets. Right. So yeah. I think the trumpets make a little sense here. Yeah. So, so, well, normally the Bible makes sense. Yeah, normally. Normally. Yeah. But if it doesn't, it's usually our fault. <laughs> right. So the trumpet, so remember on Mount Sinai, one of the things they hear on Mount Sinai is the sound of Trumpets. Right. The voice of God was like the voice of a trumpet. Right. Yep. And then whenever they do, before they move out, they're supposed to gather at the tent of meeting. All the leaders of the clans are supposed to gather at the tent of meeting, supposed to receive their marching orders, and then go out. Right. So I think the really easy thing that we can see here is that the trumpets act like a marker or a symbol of the voice of God. Yes. And so you're supposed to come and live your life, like respond to the voice of God, come to the center of God's presence and move from there. Like the life of Israel revolves around the voice of God and his presence in the temple. Yes. And so the movement of the camp like shows that parallel. Right. Well, it it, it makes a lot of sense too, coming off of the end of chapter nine, which talked about 
like how they travel through the wilderness. It was whenever the cloud of God's covering lands on the tent, you stop. Whenever it lifts, you move. And what is going to tell all these 600,000 men and all their families to do certain things? It's going to be these trumpets blaring out among the camp. And it's like, God's presence is leaving. Let's right. blow the trumpets. Yes. Here we go. Oh, God's presence is falling. Let's blow the trumpets and stop. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 also just like a practical thing that yeah, yeah, it's we've like, got to communicate to the camp. How do we do that? How do we do that? But I think you're right. The the practical um, outworking of how we're doing that has theological implications. That every time you see the the t- the, the cloud of God fall in the tent, you hear the trumpet blow, giving you a command. You're reminded of Mount Sinai. God's right. presence fell like a cloud. Um, you came around it, and then commands were given. Like right, like that's, that's exactly, exactly right. what happened. So it's all throughout the wilderness. You're seeing Sinai repeated over and over and over again. And so, like, surely we won't fall into our own sins. This of is course very not. optimistic, Seth. So optimistic. <laughs> and what I thought was really interesting, just as a kind of as a side note, is that the trumpets like act like a prayer. Did you yes. notice that? I noticed that this morning. For so, the, I, I think I had skipped over it before. And then there's one of them that's like these prayers go up to God's ears. Yeah, you shall sound. <laughs> it says, uh, verse nine, and you shall sound an alarm with your trumpets that you may be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall yeah. be saved from your enemies. And then it says in verse uh, eleven or ten, the same thing. These, uh, they shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So I don't know what to make of that i don't really either it's it's crazy but that the the trumpets themselves would be a symbol of god's presence Mm -hmm. but also i guess a symbol of israel's responsiveness to god's presence like i'm i'm not quite sure because i know our prayers in general Mm -hmm. like are described as reminding god of like our problems god doesn't god is aware of what's going on oh yeah it's a it's a metaphor right but it's like it's our way to communicate with the lord so it's like the trumpets are like almost like this reciprocal thing where like right. this is a symbol of God coming to you mm-hmm. and a symbol of you going to God. Right. Which I guess makes sense as they're on their way to Eden from yeah. Mount Sinai. And it's not only when they set out, it's also when they go to war, they blow the trumpets. And then he says, when you blow those trumpets, I will remember you and you will have victory over your enemies. And so what what this is talking about is the, the trumpets are an act of obedience and a prayer to God saying, we're invoking your name, we're being obedient, we're doing what you said we'll do, we'll blow this trumpet as you commanded, give us victory. Right. What you're going to see does not happen very soon (laughs) when they're going to go into war for the first time. Jericho? No. uh, That's in Joshua. I know. Oh, okay. But I was saying, they blow trumpets. We'll get there. We'll get there. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But very soon... When they refuse to enter the promised land, right. they're going to then go be like, oh, never mind, God, we'll do it. We'll go to the promised land. And they just go. Uh, and I'm pretty sure there's no trumpets. There's no invoking the name of the Lord. And God is not with them. And they die. And it's because they went separate from his commands. And so I think those are connected. And it's, it's, it is like prayer. I think it's right. a great parallel to prayer. It's like, does God know what we need? Yes, of course he does. He knows everything we need. And he gives to his children, right? Right. But um, what's the... F- I can never yeah, remember it. Like, I always lean on you to uh, say it. We should not uh, expect God to do apart from prayer right. what he has only promised to do through prayer. So good. And so I, I need think, to memorize that. I always good, ask you to say it's it. It's a good little line. And so I think you see, probably see something here like, you should not expect God to give you victory in battle apart Mm-hmm. From the trumpets. Right. Because he's only <laughs> promised to give you victory in battle through, through the, the trumpets. trumpets. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. And, okay, so then, yes, we will see them in Jericho whenever they, they don't they don't attack the city. You know, they don't storm the, the, right. the walls. They, they just march around, around it and around blow it. trumpets. Yeah. And it's like, what? Why? 
it seemed it seemed random to me growing up. It did seem random to me yep. growing up, but really, it's like the presence of God comes, mm-hmm. and the enemies of Israel are scattered. Yep, like, and, and and this is just them being obedient to this to this command. And then we also have a lot of trumpet language later on in the prophets, and yes. also in the New Testament. The trump shall resound. Yes. The Lord shall descend. That's it, yeah. right? There will be this trumpet that blows. The trump shall resound. First Corinthians uh, fifteen. I'm pretty sure Second Thessalonians has one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Re- Revelation definitely has trumpets. It's got a couple. It's got a couple, maybe seven or so. <laughs> seven trumpets. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't remember how. I can't many. remember this precise <laughs> number. It's not symbolic or anything. <laughs> and uh, and so, what should we see there when we talk about like the trumpets of God in the New Testament that is like announcing the coming of Jesus? Yeah. I mean, and the trumpets are both like they announce the coming of Jesus mm-hmm. and the coming judgment of God's enemies. Yes, so they're doing the same thing here. So, like the trumpet, I guess throughout Scripture, then points us both to the presence of God coming to mm-hmm. a particular place, oh, yeah. or potentially going to a particular place, and it announces the judgment of God's enemies. Right. Yeah. So that's what we're seeing then in the new heavens and new earth when we hear the last trumpet blow. We're saying that God's presence comes fully and finally. It doesn't come in a pillar of smoke on a temporary structure. It doesn't come as a thick, dark cloud on a mountain for one particular people group. It comes in the body, the resurrected, glorified body of Jesus. And his presence comes and fills the whole earth. And then beyond that, we also know in Revelation when the trumpets blow, God declares war against the unrighteous. And Jesus comes as the full and final uh, 600,000 men here in Numbers yeah. to execute ju- justice like, and judgment. Like Jericho, like the, exactly. the walls of the city of Babylon, mm-hmm. of the city of the world, are going to crumble mm-hmm. at the sound of the trumpet of the Lord. That's right. It is interesting that there is no trumpet at Jesus' death. It's mm-hmm. only when he comes back. Right. So like normally when we do these Jesus turns, especially ones that end in the new heavens and the new earth, like they all do, yep. but like there's normally like uh, like a little like a fulcrum or something that happens around the crucifixion story. And I couldn't think of any no. trumpet the trumpets around. Are, the around trumpets there. are quite silent at the crucifixion. Yeah, which makes sense, I guess. Yeah, it's defeat. Yeah, it's like, it's actually God. It's God dying, leading. not coming. Yeah. yeah, Which makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. We should Silver look forward trumpets. to the shofar blowing. The shofar. <laughs> if you don't know what a shofar is. Then you did not grow up charismatic. You did not. You should go online and just type in the word shofar. Nothing weird will come up. I promise. It's just a ram's horn that has been hollowed out and makes a noise. And makes an, and you should all get one. You should all get one and blow it next we've, time. We have, we, we've blessed some and they're available on our website. For the <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Smoking gospel shofar. <laughs> Can we blow one at the start of the next episode? Maybe. Can we do it right now at the break? I don't have a shofar. <laughs> Look it up on the <laughs> internet. <laughs> Amazon one hour delivery for shofars. A little drone's going to come and bring us one. No. All right. Let's 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 get out of Sinai. <laughs> that, my friends, is the sound of a shofar. <laughs> There it was. That was it. That was the sound now, that we was, heard throughout Israel. That was, Jesus will return. That was just <laughs> it. on Seth's phone. That was on my phone. It wasn't a real shofar. I wish it was. I wish it was. Amazon did not deliver that fast. We asked. No, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't even look it up. Yeah. Okay. So um, we are out of the flashback now. We get a new timestamp marker, and it's in the second year 
in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifts from the tabernacle. And so it's time to go. It's time to go. Yep. And what you should know or what you should see is obedience. Oh, big time. Yep. The law is working. Yep. The, so you have Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. The laws are given, the Ten Commandments, and they immediately disobey them. Right. And then you have all these other laws that happen for the entire book of Leviticus, the rest right. of the book of uh, Exodus, all through numbers. You see law after law after law after law. And then we've seen them obey, 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 obey. Yeah. And I think in Exodus, they're, they're, they're described, people are described as running wild. Like, oh, right. They're described yeah. as running wild. Here, what we see is after all the laws, not running wild, mm. but an orderly Order. leaving yep. of the camp. Mm-hmm. Like the laws are having their intended effect. Right. Like, Obedience is finally happening yep. in the camp of Israel. Yep, you see, you see the the, pre, the the different clans of Levites like grabbing each part of the tabernacle. They're supposed to grab in the right way. They're supposed to grab it. You see the the different tribes ordered around the tabernacle in the precise order they're supposed to be ordered. All the Kohathites <laughs> and the Mer, Mer, Mer people the, the Mer are people. all holding the things they're supposed to hold right. in the right order. And so it's great. Everything's awesome, and they set out. And it's amazing, and that's about it. That's yeah. It's it's kind of a long passage. Yep. Describing the fact that they are obeying. Which again, we've talked about passages like this over and again on this podcast, and we kind of mention the same thing every time because the Bible is trying to show us something, and it's the meticulous recitation of different people's obedience and um, how it's down to the letter is just meant to show us that that they are being obedient. Right. Yeah. That's it. And I think too, just for. As you read the rest of your Bible, Paul will say things like, uh, the law is not bad. The oh, law yeah. is good. Yes. And he's talking about passages like this. Like the law actually has a function in human, on human behavior mm-hmm. and in human life. Yes, you can't legislate the human heart, nope. but you can restrict the behaviors of humans through laws. Mm. And that is one of the good things that laws do. That's not, laws can't do everything, and that will become abundantly clear in just a couple moments. Right. And but I right think, now, yeah. right I now. Think when Paul talks about the good law and here, like, why is it good that they're ordered this way and carrying the things in this way? It's because of, I think, two things. One, of who its author is. So the law's author is God. Yes. Therefore, the law is good. It must be good. It must be good because God is good. Second, there is something ontological about the law that like, is good. Meaning like... What it's it's very self in its in itself in its in essence, its, in its essence in the in essence its of the law of the fact that there are laws written the, down the somewhere. laws themselves are good yeah, yeah right yeah. and so um it's it's not only from its origin where it came from that makes it good it's also good in itself what it commands is good yeah you know like don't do an injustice <laughs> yeah against a widow like yeah you know, like help you know foreign people when they're in your land. <clears throat> What was that cough for, David oh, Bowden? Nothing. Are no. you making a veiled statement? <laughs> Absolutely about not. The we stay, state of no, our world. No, we stay neutral on the spoken gospel podcast. <laughs> I think that is so true. It's so true. We, we say don't so, take stands. We don't on take anything. stands on anything. And so anyway, so the law is good, and the people here are obeying that law. And there right. You go. And I think my point was that it does what it's intended to do. Yes. To, like it's intended to act like a guardian. For a period of time, like for a period of time, and like there is a temporary restraining effect yep. that the law does, which is good. Yep, and we see that here. We do, and we can celebrate in that. We can celebrate that the law is good for about thirty verses <laughs> for, for a very brief period. <laughs> for a very of time. brief period of time, 
Because then the law doesn't work. The law doesn't work. But for now it does. And this is why it's good that Jesus kept the whole law. Yes. Like, why does Jesus have to keep the kosher laws? Why does Jesus have to do all the laws that we don't do anymore? Like, why is it important that he did that? Well, because the laws are good. Mm -hmm. The laws are from God. They command good things. They accomplish good purposes. They, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, and Jesus is the fulfillment of goodness. Yeah. Like he is goodness walking around. He's the embodiment of God's laws and God's commands. And it's mm -hmm. good that he was doing those things, even if we don't necessarily follow all those same laws now. Right. No, yeah, I think it's good. Okay. And so now we leave Sinai. Well, before you leave Sinai... Oh, no, we have a conversation with Moses' father-in-law. Yes. Okay. Which is, if you remember, back all the way to Exodus 4... Jethro's advice. Jethro's advice about the 70 elders... Exodus 18. Exodus 18, splitting up uh, the governance of Israel and the 70 mm -hmm. elders. That happens all the way back uh, in Exodus. And so we, his name is Reuel here. Yep. And so there's reasons for that that aren't worth going into. Not worth going into. But just know that this just, Raul is Jethro. People have different names back then. Yeah, so and like they're one known by like, different people in different areas, and it's fine. Yes, they come from different countries. It's like whenever a Japanese student comes here, and yeah. she has like well, it's like Chinese. I've never heard, oh, okay. heard of Japanese. Okay, but you know they have yeah, yeah, names yeah. that we just can't pronounce. I had a so Chinese like, friend. I'm Chad. And yeah, like, you're not Chad. I had a friend of mine who's Chinese in high school. His name was Dixon. Dixon. It's like no, that's the most no South. English person. It's called Dixon. Dixon. We probably Dixon's probably one of the most faithful listeners, and you have just ostracized it. Dixon. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. So sorry. So anyway, Moses invites uh, Jethro, his yep. father-in-law, who is not a Jew, not mm -hmm. a Hebrew, he's a Midianite, right. to join him uh, into on, the promised yeah, in, land. Yeah, on the journey. And his father-in-law, essentially, uh, we don't know what he says, We actually. don't. It, it seems assumed that maybe he comes along. I was going to say, I think it's assumed that he doesn't well, come it, along. Yeah, it doesn't really matter either way. Oh, it doesn't? Uh, well, maybe it does. I think it might. Okay. I it think this might. whole conversation matters. I don't know if it actually matters if he comes or not. But go ahead. So anyway, they end up leaving. So we're, Moses begs him to come. Right. And, and the reason why he begs him to come, I think, is so ironic. What is it? Well, he says, so we might, you know the land. Right. And you know how to get there. Yes. And, and you I'm, know how to camp. And you. Know I was how... so confused when I read this. Right. Because I was like, is Moses being faithless? Because isn't it isn't it God that goes up off like guides right. them with the pillar isn't of the cloud ark leading them? Yeah, isn't the pillar of cloud. Like, why are you them? asking Jethro? That's exactly one of the reasons why I think that he ends up not going. Okay, because so is he being faithful then? Uh, Jethro yeah. and not going. I don't know if he's be necessarily being faithful, but I think he's repeating a pattern we see of fathers-in-laws and sons-in-laws separating. Oh, Jacob and Laban, right? Uh, our father-in-law and son-in-law, and okay. they come to a new land, and yeah. what do they do? They separate from one another. Right. When uh, Jethro and uh, Moses have already separated one other time, uh -huh. when uh, Moses and Jethro were in Midian, and then Je Moses goes back into Egypt, but Jethro stays with him. Right. So there's this narrative structure where fathers-in-laws and sons-in-law leave okay. at significant moments. And guess what happens at each point in time? What? Well, when Moses leaves Jethro for the first time, there's this moment of God's wrath breaking out because what happens? Oh, is this the Gershon's foreskin? This is the Gershon's foreskin <laughs> thing. Like uh, as they're on the way, the Lord, the presence of the Lord comes to the temple, and it's a, uh, not to the temple to to where he's lodging. We yeah, don't know Moses's where it is. tent, yeah. and he's 
apparently going to kill Moses' son right. until Zipporah, in a moment of apparently brilliance, brilliance, <laughs> like circumcises circumc- Gershom and ho- stays the Lord's wrath. Right. When Moses and Laban separate, uh huh. Not most Jacob and Laban. Jacob separate. and Laban. Yeah. Jacob immediately begins wrestling with the Lord. Right. And so here we have another instance of a father-in-law and a son-in-law separating. And then what's the first thing that happens? Fire breaks out in the entire camp. Right. The wrath of the Lord, the confrontation of the Lord comes to the camp and intercession needs to be made before it ends. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right? Well, okay. 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 Hold on. Hold on. So all the commentaries I read... <laughs> All the commentaries. <laughs> they get to so what what Seth is talking about here, guys, is Seth is jumping to chapter eleven, verse one. Right. And we talked about this in the introduction. So it's yes, not a surprise, this this little passage here, if you've been listening. And this is the this is and all it says is the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Right. Now we do not know what this grumbling was. And we don't all even know this, what it's about. So this is what I'm talking about. All the yeah. commentaries I'm reading are saying, like, we don't know. Right. No one knows. It doesn't matter. But are you linking these narrative patterns of fathers and father-in-laws and their and their son-in-laws yes. leaving each other and the fire of God coming and saying like we we should just expect it or yes okay because, and what does it do in the other? It brings this sense of foreboding. There's this dangerous element to the leadership of Moses where like we don't know like did he do something wrong. There's something oh, there's right. something we, off with this relationship. Oh, you're so right. We don't right. know we don't know why God came and and wanted to kill Gershom. Right. We don't know why he decided to just start a wrestling match with Jacob. Right. We don't know why the fire broke out and and like what kind of grumbling was happening here. Right. There is there's this sense that what it shows you are that is that there's cracks in Moses' leadership. There's cracks in the obedience of God's people and it's breaking out in ways that are unexpected. There's a crack in Moses' obedience to circumcise his own son. And so we see God's wrath break out. There are all sorts of character flaws in, in Jacob, and we see that in the wrestling that God has yeah, with yeah, him, yeah, the yeah, renaming yeah. of him. There's like it's supposed to tell you not everything's right in the yeah. nation of Israel. So uh, <laughs> you're blowing my mind. Okay. I don't think anyone else is as nerdy enough to be so excited about this. But so excited. Uh Okay, so one thing that I'm thinking here. We've been telling everything's all optimistic right. all, all the time. And now there's a crack. This is the crack. This is the foreboding. So here's my, but here's yeah. what I'm wondering. Okay, okay. Is if you're, uh, if you're a Torah reader, right, right, and you are also clued in to whatever cultural thing is probably also being communicated by father-in-laws and son-in-laws splitting, there's probably something there that we don't understand. Okay. I would just assume. Probably. Um, you're probably going... Like Moses is, is saying, like, "Hey, show us the way." Even though we just heard a chapter ago that God would show you the way, right. you're probably like, "Uh oh, oh no, yeah, something's something's coming. It's not going to be good." Yeah. And then you get to the people complained about their misfortunes, and the fire breaks out. I'm wondering, like, are the people complaining that Jethro didn't come with them? Like, oh, like, is it? I mean, I there's no way to know. It's right, a complete right, right. speculation. Yeah. But is that them saying, like, well, who's going to guide us then? Right, if he was, if Jethro was responsible for setting up this the system of seventy elders, he would be a respected guy in the community right. for sure. Well, one of the things that keeps coming up in chapter eleven and twelve mm-hmm. is like 
is Moses really the best candidate to be our right. leader? It's all about leadership. And yeah. so it might, it potentially, it could be. Yeah. Anyway, it's really interesting to me. No one else cares, but I find that really interesting. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. Um, and regardless of that, it's included in it. We do know two elements of complaints that come after the fire yes. breaking out. Right. We know okay. That. Yeah. But before we do that, okay, okay, okay. I want to just reiterate something we said in the introduction. Yes. This opening verse of chapter 11, uh, and really opening two verses, um, lays out for us the pattern that will get repeated throughout the whole rest of the book. And oh, yes. it's this cycle that comes up over and over and again. And it's the people have received commands. That's right. what one through 10 was. Yeah. They've received commands. And then they disobey. So they've complained. Right. The third step is that the Lord punishes them. Right. But then the fourth step is he provides these miraculous displays of mercy when Moses or Aaron intercedes for them and the plague stops. But again, and then he'll come around again and he'll start to cycle and he'll give them new commands, trying to yeah. ratchet down and constrain behavior like we talked about. Um, but the people won't respond either to the commands or the mercy he showed them. And so they'll sin again, they'll be punished, they'll need intercession, and this yeah. will happen all throughout Numbers until the entire old generation is dead. Right. Okay. So we see that pattern. And what we also see is that Moses is God's chosen intercessor for this people. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we see a pattern we see the highlighting of Moses. We also see the insufficiency of Moses' leadership. Yeah, so like it's, we see that crack starting to form right here. Right here, we just it's and we're not even really sure what it is yet. We just know that it's present mm -hmm. and something's repeating itself in the history of Moses. Mm. So now, the rabble, verse four. Yeah, they're, and they're and they're strong craving. And they're strong <laughs> craving. So this is important. Where that strong craving is actually what they're going to name. The valley at the end of chapter twelve, or wherever the, the mm -hmm. uh, what's it called, the Kidron something, Kidron Hatatha. So it's like Kibroth Hatatha. I guess. Kib Kibroth. Is it like the place of craving? The place of craving. So the whole narrative, that'd be a good restaurant title. Place of craving. <laughs> <laughs> I wish instead of doing like the the Hebrew names here, they, they would, would just put the translation. It's like the place of craving, the river of bitterness. No, you know, like yes. it would be so helpful for me. It's like my oh, my wow. Hebrew professor who also taught prophets. In yeah. my undergrad, he did that, and he would also like spend a little extra time making them sound like idiomatic and right, like right, right. And, and making them like uh, oh, what's the word? Alliterate, like alliteration. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he he was so good at that. His his commentaries. If he just came out with one on Deuteronomy, uh, pick him up. Harold Ooh. Shank. Harold Shank. Doctor Harold Shank. Pick if you see if you want to see some really good. His stuff on Amos is amazing. Get some of his commentaries. Ever, They're great. Ever. Little plug for you, Harold Shank. I love you. I was I was reading. I was teaching through one of the prophets, and I can't remember who it was, but it's. But he basically renames all the towns in Israel yes. after their own sin. Who is that? I don't know, but that I, Harold's yeah. done that. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, the place of craving. The place of craving. So there's the this great burger joint down the road. <laughs> <laughs> so the rabble. Yes. Is apparently, this is. It's a little the, character. Is a character. It's, yeah. If you when they left Israel, uh, Egypt, there was this mixed multitude that mm -hmm. came out of Egypt. So apparently, a lot of Egyptians came along with them, or potentially other enslaved people groups mm -hmm. that Egypt had enslaved. But these same people are starting to like stir up dissension right. in the camp and say, "Wasn't it better back in Egypt? Mm -hmm. We had all these vegetable gardens, we had leeks and garlic, and yeah, all and we didn't bread. even pay it for it. Right? I was, was like, yes, free. you did. You were slaves, you <laughs> idiots." But also what I find really interesting is what's the one thing God constantly calls them to do in order to maintain their faithfulness to him? It's to remember mm. how God has provided. Right. Remember what he's done for you. 
in Exodus, in like feeding you with manna. Right. And instead of remembering how God miraculously provided actually for free, right? Right. They remember being slaves and being being given slaves food. Right. It's like, man, that is freaking me. Like, yeah, that yeah. is so me. <laughs> like, I do not, I spend way more time thinking about, man, I, I, I could, it could be better than, you know, or like, right. I'm going to complain. And instead of being like, man, Jesus literally died for my sins. Right. Like, I just skip over the best news to get to just something yeah. so much less. And I think the text even picks up on that because right after there's this craving for something other than manna, there's like three or four verses of, celebrating the joys of manna. It's like fine spices, yeah. coriander. It's like fine gems, bedillium or dillium, yeah. delium. I don't know how to say it. And then it's like, and it tastes like pancakes. Yeah. Like, it's, like, <laughs> it's cool too. It seems like a magical like food because you right. can do anything with it. You can like sprinkle it on stuff. You can paste it you up. You can put it in in, a bo- in boiling water and make cakes. Yeah, it's, it's like, like, what is this, this thing? Is anyway, which is what it's called. What is this? What is this? <laughs> what it's is what this? manna means. Yeah, yeah. Is what is this? Anyway. And it comes like when, like dew, just yeah. appears. It just flakes on the ground like crust. Right. Like, mm. Mm. Earth crust. Earth crust. <laughs> the place of strong craving <laughs> is <place>. back. <laughs> okay. And then now, so like we have, so we have the scene. Yep. Moment of wrath. Right. Yep. Based Moses. on some misfortune that we're not sure right. what it is. Then we have this strong craving. Oh, right. Yep. And we're, th- we should be thinking, okay, Jethro's left. There's a question of leadership lingering. So everything that's happening right now is going to be a test of Moses' leadership. Oh, right. Yes, And yes, so yes. what happens now is Moses comes on the scene after hearing about the strong cra- cra- craving. craving. The we- and he's hearing everyone weeping at the door of his tent. And God's anger blazes hotly. Yep. Which is, I think, uh, I mean, it's supposed to take you back to the fire that literally just broke out in the camp. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yep. And then Moses' response to God is fascinating. Mm-hmm. He doesn't start praying for mercy like he's done in the past. No. Moses starts complaining. Yeah, and complaining t- to a really intense degree. Yeah. So much so that So he, the people he, are complaining <laughs> about the food and Moses is complaining about the people that God's given him. Yep. And he's also complaining complaining about his own role. He's like I'm going to be a failure. I can't right. rein these people in. I'm going to be shown to be a failure. So can you just do me the the favor and just kill me? Right. He just asked God to kill him. He, he like he, he asked for like divine euthanasia. <laughs> like oh no that that, <laughs> that got me that guy that got me. choked you up. <laughs> but yeah, and like that's a really intense request that that and it's not the first time that Moses makes that request. He makes it on Mount Sinai too, but in a more noble way. He asked God that's to right. blot him out of the book and keep Israel. Right. But now he's like, I'm done. Just kill me. Yes. Yeah, now, like in one sense, he was going to be. A martyr for the right reasons, right? And now he's a self-righteous martyr. Yes, it's like, so like oh, I can't do it. I want to save my own reputation. Even I want to save right. face. Yeah, just kill me. If I'm dead, I won't. I won't. I can't be blamed for everything they're doing. So what we're seeing is this deeper crack within Moses' leadership, and it should also take us back to the insecurity we saw at Moses in Exodus three and four, three and four, mm-hmm. where he's just always wrestling with God. I surely it can't be me. It can't be me. And it makes sense if you have a really insecure leader wow. who's placed in a position of prominence. Who has a moment of great clarity? He, but at the same moment, he's still plagued by his insecurities. Desperately wants to keep that reputation mm-hmm. of being a good leader. So right. it makes sense when all the people are complaining and don't like him anymore. That insecurity manifests itself as saying, 
just kill me, God. Yeah. I'd rather keep a hold of my good name mm. than have to deal, continue to deal with this. This is too much for me. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. And, and it's like you do have a reversal of that moment on Sinai where he asked God to kill him there because there he's saying, like, let me take the blame so that the people can go free, right? Yeah. Here he's saying, like, uh, so kill, there he said, kill me so that I can take the blame and the people can go free. Here he's saying, kill me so I won't have to take the blame so I and I can be people. free. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. And so what we just saw there too is like Moses is proving that he's an insufficient leader. Mm-hmm. Even though he's God's chosen leader, he's an insufficient leader. Mm-hmm. But there's also an insufficient community within Israel. Oh, like definitely. Israel yeah. is not the nation it should be. Right. And Moses' desire for a different type of people isn't necessarily wrong. Mm. And we see that. So the next thing that happens is elders are appointed to aid Moses. Mm-hmm. And so I at first was like, why is this here in the middle of all of this um, conflict about manna and all this other stuff? But really, we're still asking the question, is Moses a sufficient leader? Mm. And so at that point, we institute the 70 elders of Israel to help Moses carry the load, which he just said he can't carry on his own. Right. And isn't this, aren't these, these 70 elders were already picked by Jethro back in Exodus 18, right? Yeah, so this seems like the moment that they're finally... Um, Activated. Or yeah, like, but we, we're told back then that it's like they, that people would take their small cases to that's them. That's right, that's right. So I think this is like, hey, you've got a support network, like, use it. Right. Bring the 70 elders in, you know who they are, and let's do something with them. It's almost like God, Moses is saying, like, I can't do this. I can't bear with these people alone. Right. And God says, you do know you're not doing this alone, right? right? Yeah. Did <laughs> like, you forget? We've had this conversation before. It's like, here's the 70 elders. And it goes back, like, <clears throat> father-in-law and son-in-law separate. Like, there's repetition, there like, is. cycles throughout yep. the book, uh, the Pentateuch right. in general. Which is, like, classic <laughs> Hebrew literature. Yeah. And so then if the question up for grabs is, is Moses a good enough leader? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You already have one craving for bread. Is Moses a good enough leader? 70 elders. Now we have a craving for meat that comes up. And with the craving for meat comes this kind of intense curse. So intense. God is. God says to the people that um, I'll give you what you asked for. So I'll give which you. Is, which, which is a foreshadowing of what will happen at the border of Canaan. Oh, it is. Because they it asked, they, they were like, I wish we would have just died in the wilderness. And he's like, okay, I'll sure. let you die in the wilderness. So here they say, we want meat. And he says, okay, fine, but you won't just have it for one day or two days or 20 days, 20 days. a whole month. You'll have a whole month until you're sick of it and it's disgusting to you and you're eating it so much that it comes out of your nostrils. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was reading, I was like, oh, the Lord heard their prayer. Oh, oh. the Lord's going to give them what they asked for. <laughs> oh, the Lord. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it's like, uh, it reminds me, it's like, uh, it's like a kid who, who's like, I want a cigarette, Dad. You know, he gets caught smoking. Yeah. He's like, "Fine, smoke the whole pack." You know, right, like right. that's kind of what this I is like. I knew a dad who was like, I who told his daughter, he gave his daughter a six pack of beer and sent her to her room. Said, "I want you to drink all those right now, so you know what it feels like to get drunk and never do it again." Oh, I was like, I don't know if that's I don't the know best. That, parenting move. Like, that does not sound like a good parenting move. <laughs> but I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> that is, uh, how old was she? <laughs> seems... She was of drinking. Oh, age. okay, it good. Was like, it was like, <laughs> so I was like, but still, like. Ah, Okay, that's weird. Uh, anyway, but yes, that's what's happening here. Is God is God is basically giving people their heart's desire and showing them. I think there's a there's a prophetic illustration here that if we had full reign, 
if we were able to follow our own desires, if we were able to fulfill what Adam and Eve wanted in the garden and be our own gods, define good and evil for ourselves, have unilateral control, we would utterly destroy ourselves. Yeah. We would fill ourselves up uh, because of our strong desire and cravings to the uttermost right. until we were killed by that which we love. In one sense, we don't need God to punish us because we would do it ourselves. Yeah. Sin is uh, sin is its own punishment, but God also has punishment for sin. And it's the actually, active and passive wrath we, of God. We actually get both in this passage. We do, because exactly right. The, so, we, so we expect then that at the very end, they're going to eat quail for a month and then have it come out of their nostrils. Right. What actually ends up happening, they get quail for a day. Right. And while the meat was still yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, so in their teeth, before it was swallowed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a plague. Mm. So it's like the 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 anger of the Lord comes immediately. Mm. So I have so here's the question. God just promised it was gonna be thirty days. Right. Why does it happen immediately? I don't know. And I think the answer goes back to Moses is an insufficient leader and the people's sin is greater than what it was than what we understand. Mm. So I think like we have this we have like a category in scripture for like all things being equal, this is how God will respond. Right. If the people repent, God will relent. If you do not repent, this is what will happen. And so I think there's this expectation, at least from God to his people, like Moses, we expect you to behave a certain way. We expect the people to behave a certain way. Um, we should expect some, a degree of repentance. We expect a certain degree of intercession. But I think what this narrative shows us is that neither of those things happen. Mm. The people's sin towards the food is greater than what it was with the manna. And Moses' failure to lead them through that is so great, the punishment comes immediately. Right. Well, think about this. I think this is probably what's happening is God, God says like, oh, you want meat? Okay, I'll give you so much meat that it'll kill you. Right. God brings the meat, and they're like, we don't care. Bring it on. And they start eating it, and it's between their teeth. Oh, and God's like, like, this was a warning. This was a warning. You didn't repent. Right. Punishment. Right. Like, it was supposed to scare you, Yeah. and you don't think I'm going to do it. You you don't think I'm, I'm a God of my word is going to come through on what I've said. Right. And so you don't need 30 days. Right. It's just going to come now. And if that's, if that's the case, it's like, you don't trust me to be a God of my word and to provide for you. That's exactly what Moses does too in verse 21. Moses says, but these people are 6,000 people, 600,000 people on foot. And mm. you said, give them meat. Where am I going to get all that food from? For a whole month. For a whole month. Like, how can I do that? And this is another failure yep. in Moses' part to see the provision of the Lord. And it's the same sin of the people. They don't trust God to provide. Neither is Moses trusting God to provide. The presence of God going before them was enough. He needed Jethro to show him the lay of the land. Mm-hmm. Like Moses' leadership is pro- being proven to be insufficient in the same way the people of God are proving to be insufficient to carry out the commands. Yeah, Moses is super faithless here. He just heard God say how he was going to provide, and he says, how am I going to feed these people meat for a whole month? Am I just going to slaughter every animal we have? And then he says this, am I supposed to go into the ocean and, and literally get every single fish out of it? Even that wouldn't be enough. And then God's response is this, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true or not. And yeah. it comes true in the fact that he brings the meat and the punishment. And I think this is fascinating. This is exactly what happens when Jesus turns the lo- loaves and the bread into uh, the fish and the, fish loaves, and the loaves multiplies. What yep. do the disciples say? Are we supposed to go get food for all these That's people? Exactly what happened. <laughs> and so, and what, what's at stake there? 
is Jesus the Messiah? Wow. And what's at stake here? Is Moses the true leader of Israel? Right? And so Jesus is showing that he is the true leader of Israel, able to provide for all of his people, and Moses is not. Oh my gosh. Yeah, this is all, okay, so this is all about <laughs> Moses' leadership. Yeah. And saying, like, is Moses a good leader? And all he had to do was trust that God would do it right. and provide everything. Jesus is saying that I am the new Moses who provides for all the people what they, for their strong craving. Right. Not only for their fleshly strong craving, but for their, their spiritual strong craving. I have bread and water that will sustain you forever. And then Jesus doesn't have to sit around and wait for God to do something else. He is God himself and performs the miracle, right feeding there. all the people. And there's leftovers. And the people twelve eat, yeah, leftovers. And the people <laughs> and the people eat and are satisfied. Right. They don't eat to their filling and die. They eat yeah. and are satisfied and there's leftovers. And Jesus gathers them up. He doesn't leave them there to continue to multiply and be a curse to right. the people. Like he's the perfect Moses, proving that he is the leader that Israel has longed for. He is the perfect savior that will come and actually bring deliverance and obedience to the people. Yeah. So cool. Okay, so the question that we're still asking, is Moses a sufficient leader? Mm -hmm. Is there a type of leadership in the future that will be better than Moses? It's Jesus. But is there a type <laughs> spoiler of... <laughs> spoiler. Is there a type of leadership that's better than Moses? Is there a type of people that could be better than Israel? Mm. And so what we see immediately is the 70 elders mm -hmm. of Israel kind of being told what God has told Moses. Right, yep. And God promises that he'll take the spirit that rests on Moses yeah. and gives it to all of the 70 elders. Yes. Turns out only 68 show up to the tent of meeting where they're supposed to meet Moses and receive the spirit. But it doesn't matter. As they're there at the tent of meeting, all of them start prophesying yeah. in the camp. And even the two that aren't there. Eldad and Medad. They start prophesying wherever, they are, wherever they're at. Right. Joshua comes to him and is like, hey, these two guys didn't show up, but the Lord apparently likes them. Should we, how should you want me to take care Let of them for you? Shut it down. <laughs> shut it down. It's like, no. Moses says, I hope that all God's people would prophesy like this one day. Right. Which is, so one, in the narrative, he's saying like, I think this is Moses' hope for leadership. Mm -hmm. There's this plurality of spirit-filled people right. leading the community of God. And it's like, we need a whole people filled with the spirit if we are going to obey the law perfectly. Right? Like, yes. Right? <laughs> David kind of melted in his chair for a second. I don't know. It's <laughs> like every every thread in the Bible is like coming into this story. Yes. It's, it's like, like even though... We need six hours to unpack all of this. I was like, we were... David wanted to go to all the way to chapter 14 today. And I was like, as I was studying, I was like, I don't think we're going to make it, David. <laughs> we're not going to make <laughs> we're it. We're not going to make it. Um, so like Moses, even though he's a deficient leader, mm -hmm. he's still the leader of Israel, and he's still perceptive. Yeah. Like, he understands that his leadership is insufficient, and he understands his people are insufficient. Right. What they need is for all people to be filled with the Spirit, have the Lord speak to them, and to prophesy to other people. Like, that's what the community of God must be right. in order to enter the promised land. He understands this. Yes. Or at least in part. Okay. And so... Okay. Hold on. <laughs> so... I mean, this is the Garden of Eden. Yes. You have people made in the image of God with whom God walks. And that was, that was the, that was the vision. Yeah. It was just like people who are little, little gods, 
you know, <laughs> oh, little a, Yahweh's. Yeah. You know, like, there's a whole theology called Little God's theology in the prosperity gospel movement, which is oh, we're not doing problematic. That. We're not doing that. You're not going there. It's not I'm not going there. <laughs> These are image of God, God, yes. God image bearers is what I'm yeah, saying. Yes. Just trying to say it colloquially. <laughs> uh, I got an email recently about one of my, one of my, uh, devos on, oh, really? on one of the books talks about how we're mini gods. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, and I say it to like shake it up a little bit and I got an email about it and I had to explain and she was very, really, really gracious, but are anyways. we really, uh, anyway. And so that's, that's like starting to happen. And like, yeah. that's God's vision for everybody is like, I want a kingdom of priests Right, yeah. filled all. I want everybody to fill. I don't just want seventy elders filled with the Spirit of God. Let alone just Moses. Right. The his vision is for an entire Holy Spirit filled community in His presence in the Promised Land. That's exactly right. Okay. And then immediately, as soon as the Holy Spirit falls, the punishment falls. The quail arrive. Oh, they right. start eating it. Yep. And they're immediately punished with a plague for it mm-hmm. and the place is called the place of craving right the place of craving and so again like it's kind of a complicated narrative like there's a lot going on there's manna there's quail there's questions of leadership the holy spirit's falling there's 70 elders appointed like there's a lot going on so it can kind of get hard to find your line through this but again the question is who should be the true leader of israel is moses a sufficient leader are we is the Moses the right leader to get us to the promised land? Like mm-hmm. that's the question being asked. And just imagine if you're in the camp, all of a sudden you have 70 people who are filled with the spirit. What role does Moses have anymore? Like mm-hmm. if he's like, if everyone's filled with the spirit now, if he wants everybody to be filled with spirit, why do we still need Moses? Which is exactly what happens in chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron come up to Moses and confront him and say, don't we have the Holy Spirit? Oh, right. Why do you need to lead us? Mm-hmm. And it's it, it kind of strangely, it centers around the fact that Moses has married a Cushite woman, right. which is, Cushite is just an old term for Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. So he's married an Ethiopian woman. And so that Miriam and Aaron come to him, confronting him on his ability to lead based on the fact that he's married a Cushite woman and that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So, Thoughts? There's so much to unpack. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, some some things I'm thinking. Okay. One, and I'm just going to start making connections. Okay. Okay. Make so connections. one is the obvious one that we just have to talk about, which is like, this is the image of the church. Yes. That, that you have, the church is a body where everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is Joel 2, and which gets quoted in Acts 2. Hopefully a plurality of elders right. are filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit, leading a group of people who are also filled, filled with the Spirit. Spirit. Yeah. Yes. And, and and so like the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2. It, you know, your, your, your old men will dream dreams and your daughters will prophesy. Joel 2, Acts 2 stuff happening here. The Holy Spirit falls. And, and all throughout Acts, when the Holy Spirit falls, people start manifesting signs like this. They start prophesying right. just right off the bat. Like it's like, oh, this is like what happened in Numbers. Like you should yes. be thinking that when you're reading Acts 2. Right. Is God's vision for his kingdom you know, like as he was leaving Sinai into the promised land is happening in Acts. Yeah. So Acts 2, Holy Spirit falls, 120 people start speaking in tongues. Everyone's preaching the gospel and they quote Jew told Joel, Joel 2, 2. 28, mm-hmm. 
which says your young men shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, right. your women, everyone's going to be prophesying. Everyone's going to be filled with the Spirit. And it's all hyperlinking back yes. to Numbers 11 or, or tw- 12. Yeah, 11. 11. Yeah, 11. Numbers yeah. 11, where Moses said, I really want this to be true of everybody. Right. And it happens in Acts 2. Yes. So yes. like that's the vision. And the other thing is that uh, Paul pretty much quotes Moses verbatim in 1 Corinthians 14. He says that... Um, he he wants everyone to speak in tongues and mm. but especially but even more to prophesy oh and so he's he's wanting everyone to be filled with the spirit and to manifest like the the, the gifts of the spirit he, he wants he's repeating Moses' hope for his people yeah he's like man i just wish everybody would prophesy it's exactly what moses said fascinating yeah and what's one of the things that paul is addressing in first corinthians 4 is the fact that spiritual gifts lead to pride yep. in some people and that like God has constituted everybody equally. And what's happening here? The spiritual gift of prophecy in Miriam and Aaron leads to pride on their part in right. questioning the leadership mm, of Moses. It's good. So it's like there are <laughs> yep. some pretty significant parallels between and the, this. The other thing I'm, I'm thinking is you were like, so if everyone's filled with the Holy Spirit, who's leading? Right. And that's the whole point is, and it's in First Corinthians. It's what? Who's the head of this body? Christ. Christ. It, like the whole point of if everybody's filled with the spirit of God, who's in charge? God. Like that was the whole point of the theocratic system of right. Israel, which a theocracy. So in is, one sense, Miriam is asking the right question, even though she's questioning God's chosen leader at the time. She is asking like a theologically, teleologically end oriented mm. right question. If we're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Right. Who does lead us? Right. Because Moses... And she comes to the wrong conclusion. It should be me. Right. It should be me and Aaron. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, but the theocratic system that God is meaning to set up here is one that he is in charge. A theocratic system is one that, like a democratic system is where the people are in charge, right? An autocratic system is where there's one person in charge autonomously. A theocratic system is where God alone is in charge and communicates directly to his people. And that's what is happening in prophecy is that we are right. saying in human words what God is saying to us, what he's revealed to us. He's speaking right. through us. And so, um, but but then everybody's gifted differently too. Yeah. And 1 Corinthians talks about that too. Right. And so there are people who are elders of the church. There are people who are preachers. You know, there right. are people who are leaders. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. so that's, it all works that way. Like a body works and yeah. functions together, held together by the Holy Spirit. So, so what we're seeing here, because you just added a whole bunch of shades that aren't here yet. Right. But what we're seeing is the beginning seeds of a Holy Spirit built church. Right. It's th- this is the beginning of picture of the church. Right. It's crazy. So crazy. And uh okay, and, and isn't there also something said here about um like the distinction between how God yeah. speaks to the other prophets versus how he speaks to Moses? So again, the point of this passage is is Moses a sufficient leader? And while Moses is God's chosen leader, he's not the perfect leader. And so Moses so Miriam and Aaron come to Moses mm-hmm. questioning his leadership. Right. And God essentially vindicates him. Like, no, this is my chosen prophet, my right. chosen leader. And mm-hmm. what he does is he says, that's because the way that I've spoken to Moses is different than I've spoken to everybody else. Mm-hmm. I speak to Moses face to face. I speak to you in dreams, in mm-hmm. visions, riddles. and in riddles. Yeah. And so I think that's fascinating. Like there is a sense that like God speaks to people in dreams, visions, and riddles mm-hmm. in part kind of like not fully formed, but right. legitimately speaking to people. And he's also speaking to somebody in an authoritative way. Mm-hmm. Like Moses wrote scripture. 
Yep. Miriam never did. Right. Right. right you right. know, like yeah, he says he spoke to him mouth to mouth. Mouth to mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's which is a Hebrew idiom. Yes. Like face for to kissing. face for kissing. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> mouth to mouth. Like yeah, plainly, directly. Right. Like we, like a business deal. You're gonna yeah. hear every word. Yeah. yeah. So like so God vindicates Moses by saying, "No, I'm speaking to him differently than I'm speaking to you." There's a distinction yep. in the prophecy there. And then he vindicates Moses by uh having his anger pour out on Miriam right. by her turning leprous. Mm-hmm. So a couple things are happening here. Oh man, yes. One, her first complaint was that Moses married an Ethiopian dark-skinned woman. Mm-hmm. woman. Yep. And so I think uh Potentially a little bit of like colorism is yep. happening here. Mm-hmm. She is um, saying essentially, potentially you've disqualified yourself by marrying this dark-skinned woman. You should be marrying a lighter-skinned woman. Mm-hmm. And so God is saying, well, if you think your light skin is a reason for you to feel superior, have exactly what you want. Here's a leprous Here's a white. Disease. Here's a white body. <laughs> like yep. here's, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, or here's a light-skinned body. So... A lot of people point to this as a proof for the goodness of interracial marriage right. and how people who do not believe in interracial marriage should consider this story. Right. But more importantly, narratively, what God is doing is he's saying, you are questioning Moses' leadership. Let me show you the sign of leprosy. Mm-hmm. What happened back all the way in Exodus 3 and 4 when Moses questioned his, his own leadership? leadership? What was one of the first signs? God Gave him leprosy. Yeah, he, he stuck his hand in his cloak, and it was fine. Took right. it out, and it was leprous. Leprosy becomes a like a cipher for mm-hmm. the fact that Moses is a legitimate leader of Israel. Right. And this will happen again. Yep. What was the second sign? The snake. The snake. And then at the very end of the book of Numbers, the people will question Moses' leadership again, and he will hold up a snake mm-hmm. in front of everybody. Like, right. Jesus, uh, not Jesus, uh, Moses is the legitimate leader Yep. because these signs are being... Repeated. Right. And then, so so Moses intercedes. Again, the cycle's continuing. Right, right, right. There's commands, uh, disobedience, punishment is the leprous disease, but there's always intercession in numbers. Yeah. And Moses intercedes for his undeserving sister-in-law. Right. And says, like, God, don't do this. And God's like, no, I'm going to do it. And he's like, but it'll only be for seven days, which right. is just the ritual uncleanliness stuff that we learned about in Leviticus. Yeah. So Miriam goes outside the camp for seven days with her leprous disease, and then it's assumed that she comes back in after she's healed. Yeah, she's healed. Yep. So how do we see Jesus in this very long, complicated narrative yep. about what's happening? About leadership. About leadership, most leadership. Prophecy and Holy Spirit and leprosy and all these things. We've said it a few different times is that Jesus is the true leader of Israel. Yes. And Moses is a picture of him, but an insufficient leader for Israel. There are cracks. At that time, there's cracks in his leadership. Right. Oh, so there's a lot. Let's just let's start with one we just did. Okay. Moses in the leprosy. Mm-hmm. Jesus, like Moses, heal prays the Lord and he heals people with leprosy. Right. He goes outside the camp, just like Miriam did. Miriam goes out the camp. And even in the book of Mark, when he heals lepers, lepers people come to him, the first thing he'll do is he'll leave and go to a desolate place. Mm. Like there's like Jesus does precisely what Miriam and Moses did in this situation. He heals the leper and takes their place outside the camp. Mm-hmm. It's like he literally fulfills the leadership Moses. Right. Uh, and like, and like Moses did a good thing here. You yeah. Know, he interceded. And like we need to see ourselves in Miriam and Aaron's shoes that we pr- we are, we're proud. 
We right. often think that we deserve more than we actually do. We think our spiritual giftings or talents are reasons to lord it over others mm-hmm. and to assume that we should be in charge when other people right. are. <laughs> yeah, we, we stack up our abilities and our merits, and we think that earns us something in the economy of God. Right. And it doesn't. It's a grace that the Holy Spirit fell on them and on us. And instead of just openly receiving that grace, or in, in, instead of just uh, like operating in the way God want, wants yeah. us to, we try to like jockey yeah. ourselves up in positions and everything like that. And when you see that, like we humble are humble submission to yeah. God's leadership, the humble submission to God's leader leads to life. Right. Humble submission to God's leader leads to healing. Yes. Humble submission to God's leader leads to you going towards the new Eden, which is mm-hmm. exactly what happens mm-hmm. after that. They leave there and make their first trek to towards the promised land. Right. Like, but pride, but pride does the opposite. It does. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's a theme all throughout scripture. Right. That that God wants humble people. And like he's gonna and why? It's like he's filling them with indescribable power. You know, the New Testament will call it resurrection. The same spirit yeah, that yeah, raised yeah. Jesus from the dead is now at work within you. It's like, how could he have that be the case in proud people? Right. They would use it wrong, just like Miriam and Aaron tried to right. do here. They're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and the first thing they do is they try to use that to leverage a Like position, Simon the sorcerer. Leverage yeah. the power over Moses, and then... For whatever reasons, it's mixed in with the Ethio- like her, yep. his wife's Ethiopian heritage, and it's condemned immediately. Right. Mm-hmm. There's no place for pride, whether uh, on the basis of skin color or mm-hmm. spiritual gifting. Yeah. There's no place for So it's for amazing it. that we are often proud. We often refuse to submit to God or as, as our ultimate leader, and yet Jesus continually does what Moses did here. He yeah. continually offers us unmerited grace and forgiveness and healing. Um, and uh, and he does so by taking our place. He goes where Miriam was su- supposed to go. He goes outside the camp, and he bears the leprous disease for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's amazing. Uh, Moses didn't have to do that. Uh, Jesus does for us what Moses couldn't even do for Miriam. He could not stand in her place fully. Right. Um, and so he, she, he couldn't fully heal her. Yeah. Anyway, it's really cool. It's good. And the second thing we should see is, like, how does Jesus fulfill prophecy? Mm-hmm. And so what we have here is he speaks Moses mouth to mouth. Right. And what does Hebrews 1, 1 say? Yeah. Long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Yes. And so Jesus is a is different than all the other prophets. And it's like... And he, doesn't, he, doesn't just, he doesn't speak to him riddles or dreams. Nope. He doesn't even speak to him mouth, mouth to, to mouth. mouth. He is the mouth of God. (laughs) He actually comes to us. And right after that verse in Hebrews, uh, literally the next one is, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Yes. Like he is God. He is God. He doesn't speak to us from like, like a, like even, even like those daisy chain telephone games where you whisper into someone else's ear and they repeat the phrase. Like, God came to Moses and said, here's what I want you to say. And then Moses would turn around and said, here's what God said. Right. But in Jesus, he just says, this is what I say. And right. it is God's word. Yeah. And so why is Jesus the actual leader for the spiritual people of God? Well, it's because he is God himself. Right. He, there is no mediator. There, there's no greater prophet. There's, he is the one who speaks the very words he of God. He is God's laws, un, God's law and God's goodness unmediated. Right. Like he yeah. is clearly the leader of Israel because he has kept the law, mm-hmm. like unlike the people and unlike Moses, he has he perfectly speaks God's commands. Mm-hmm. He is perfectly filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And yeah. he sits 
in proper place in judgment over all of the people. Yeah. Okay. And then there's one other thing okay. that you sent me a voice text about last night. I did. Late, late at night. I did. Which got me super excited. <laughs> um, and it's about this whole argument that people are having here and in a modern parallel. So yes. go for it. So I don't know what side of the spectrum you guys might be on on whether or not charismatic gifts continue, things like prophecy or speaking in tongues or miracles or whatever else. But there's generally a pretty large debate yes. within Christianity on whether or not miracles and particularly prophecy continue today. Mm -hmm. And so one thing I've just never seen in the conversation about that is this passage. Right, because particularly the, a big part of the debate is, right. is it, if God it, uh -huh. is still speaking to his people, shouldn't that be scripture? Right. Like, if, isn't if God's speaking to you right now, like you claim to, to say he is a right. charismatic person, mm -hmm. that means what you're receiving is infallible speech from God, which must be taken with the same way to scripture. Right. And, and so that, and then, or another way to say it, it's like, well, if you have God speaking to all these people, if, if everyone could prophesy and Paul wanted everybody to prophesy, Moses wanted everybody to prophesy. Right. Like, how will I know what God's will is? It's like, right. is, isn't, don't we have one firm authoritative voice yeah. in the Bible? Like, what about all these other voices so out there? A, so the, the idea is like, if you have everybody prophesying you and everybody speaking scripture quality revelation, like divine commands from God, you'll never know what God's word says. Right. So what you need to do is you need to say no prophecy mm -hmm. because we need to uphold the sacredness of God's word as the one and final authority for all Christians for all time. Right. Which we totally believe. Which we totally believe. That but I know my point here is like one thing that I've never seen in the part, uh -huh. as part of this conversation is the story. Is, is this story where there's a clear difference between the type of prophecy Moses has, which mm -hmm. is authoritative. Mouth to mouth. Mouth to mouth, and the prophecy that the rest of the elders have. Dreams, riddles, visions. Dreams, riddles, and visions. So I'm not trying to make any big conclusions from it. No. But I'm just saying, I think if you're in the middle of that debate right now. This should be part of your conversation. You should, you should include this in the conversation. Yeah. Clearly, God did not have a problem and did not want the people of God to have a problem with, with God speaking as a prophet to Moses Authoritatively. Authoritatively, mouth to mouth, word for word, here are the commands, write scripture. And like And as a direct parallel to Jesus, he once spoke to this father. Right. But now I speak to you. Like right. there's like yeah. that and then, authoritativeness. And then everybody else prophesying is not meant to make confusion, but confirmation. Right. And it's like and and people are able to see that Moses is still the one that God put in charge. Yeah. His quality of revelation was different. Right. From um, the others. Uh, Moses wrote scripture. Miriam never did, is what you yes. said earlier right, off, right, right. offline yeah, that yeah, I thought yeah. was really helpful. And it's like, so we're saying that two people can prophesy. Apparently, right? according, to, according like, what, to this, what, what it looks like right. here in Numbers. Two people can prophesy, and one is scripture quality revelation, mouth to mouth stuff. The other is not. It's not recorded what they said because it ultimately for us right. doesn't matter. And there's another point that a guy named Andrew Wilson makes where he says like there's a lot of things, other things in scripture called prophecy that are never assumed to be divine. That's right. So like there's histories, like mm -hmm. the record of histories are called prophecies. There are um, censuses that are mm -hmm. called prophecies. There are other books that are called prophecies that aren't in the Bible. And there are other prophets of God mentioned in the prophets that we don't have books from or words right. from, but they were good prophets. So the point here is, I think this text has something to offer the broader conversation that's happening mm -hmm. in our churches about whether or not the spiritual gifts continue, and you should yeah. have it too. It's it's really interesting. Yeah. Well, there we go. 
This has been fun. This has been great. Yeah. Well, next week we hit the um, probably one of the highest highest points in numbers and one of the most important topics: Israel's failure to enter the promised land. They yes. don't get into Eden. They, they refuse to go back home. So we'll talk about that next week. But thank you guys for listening. Uh, it's always so much fun to have you. We we super appreciate you all. We and found out that there's 41. 41 reviews. Reviews now. are Five stars still. Five stars. So thank please, you guys. guys, continue to like us and review view us because mm-hmm. it helps it does other help. people find the podcast. I think there's a thousand of you that listen every single week. Yep. So humbling. We want more people to hear the gospel. Yeah. So please vote us, like us. Yeah. For their sake, not for our sense of <laughs> ego. <laughs> yeah. Because right, well, we're just going to keep doing this anyway. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free, gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Thank you.